Good afternoon and welcome to the Middle East Forum Speaker Webinar Series and Podcast. I'm Stacey Roman and I will be moderating this discussion today. We are pleased to have Simon Henderson, Director of the Bernstein Program on Gulf and Energy Policy at the Washington Institute for Near Eastern Policy, join us to discuss MBS of Saudi Arabia, a six-year assessment. Simon Henderson will speak for 15 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. And with that, I will turn the discussion over to Simon Henderson. Uh, good afternoon, um, and uh, thank you for, uh, to the Middle East Forum for inviting me to do this, and uh, thank you for um, tuning in and uh, listening to me. I look forward uh, to any questions that you have to ask um, after I've spoken uh, for 15 or so minutes. Um, by way of explanation, yes, I've got a British accent. Uh, yes, I was born in Britain. I came here uh, what is now uh, in 2006, 15 years ago. Um, my syntax has largely changed to American, but my accent remains British. Uh, by background, I'm a journalist. I still regard myself as a journalist in that what I do is write uh, analysis and write reporting uh, and also edit other people's writing. Uh, my reporting, uh, my journalistic experience started at the BBC uh, in their world service, uh, which was the English language uh, radio. Uh, in those days, television uh, didn't uh, exist in the form of BBC World. Uh, and um, my experience there led me to um, uh, end up in the Middle East. I always wanted to end up in the Middle East, uh, but I made a detour in doing it uh, by being assigned first of all to Pakistan uh, for a couple of years uh, or, or just over a year, and then joining the Financial Times uh, who promptly sent me to Iran for the revolution. Not that I knew anything about Iran, but they figured that uh, if I could survive in Pakistan, I could survive in Iran. Uh, in terms of my knowledge of uh, Saudi Arabia, I have to um, announce one very important caveat. I have never been to Saudi Arabia. I've been to most other countries in the Middle East, uh, but not Saudi Arabia. Uh, and so that's a little strange perhaps, but uh, my explanation for that is that uh, initially I wasn't prepared to go through the hoops that they tried to construct in order to get a visa. And then I started to write about the Saudi royal family. And if you do that, um, it doesn't put you in favor of uh, the Saudi government. And so, first of all, I couldn't get a visa at that point. I wasn't going to be invited. And uh, secondly, today, or in these days, if they were to invite me, I'm not sure that I would actually go. Uh, I've been writing about the Saudi royal family uh, since I, uh, on sabbatical leave from the Financial Times, I wrote about, um, I wrote a study for them uh, called After King Fahad. 
which goes back to um, 1993 and 1994. Uh, and uh, I have continued on, on this. There's also, there was a second edition of After King Fahad. There was also uh, a, um, a, a further study called After King Abdullah. Uh, there hasn't been an After King Salman uh, instead, I wrote a study um, a couple of years ago, um, uh, MBS in Saudi Arabia, a 50 year reign, question uh, mark. And uh, that brings me up to date in terms of the foundations of my Saudi experience. MBS uh, didn't figure in the first two books. Um, he did figure uh, in, inevitably in the third, where he had taken on uh, the main role. Uh, he's an extraordinarily uh, interesting character and breaks the mold of Saudi Arabia and royal succession. Uh, he is likely uh, to be the next king. And if he is does become the next king, uh, because he's only uh, what is it, uh, 30, coming up 36 years old, uh, he could be there for um, 50 years. Uh, his father, born in 1936, um, is, uh, is um, already of that equivalent age, uh, although not in particular good shape. Um, was I surprised by MBS coming to the fore so quickly when his father became king in 2015? Not that surprised because uh, MBS had been running his father's court. Uh, his father had been the uh, crown prince of Saudi Arabia. Uh, MBS had been running his father's court uh, for two or three years and was already an influential character. Uh, the story in those days was that uh, he undermined um, successive uh, ministers of de uh, deputy ministers of defense because his father was the minister of defense. Uh, and I think um, four deputy ministers of defense were appointed and uh, left uh, within less than two or three years. Uh, MBS, when his father died in January 2015, was appointed uh, the Minister of Defence. Not bad going if you're merely 29 years old at the time and have never served in the military. Uh, he became Deputy Crown Prince within a couple of months uh, because the Crown Prince Mukrin who had essentially been foisted on Salman by the previous king, uh, Abdullah, um, it was pushed to one side. Uh, at that point, the, uh, the crown prince became Mohammed um, um, bin Naif, who's an older cousin of MBS's. Uh, and that setup of the King Salman, crown prince Mohammed bin Naif and Deputy Crown Prince um, Mohammed bin Salman persisted through until 2017, uh, when essentially uh, Mohammed bin Naif was pushed to one side uh, by uh, Mohammed bin Salman and uh, who became Crown Prince. His father um, 
one of the interesting questions about MBS is the extent to which uh, he runs his father or his father controls him. Uh, and uh, it depends, I think, on the issue and uh, also uh, uh, with the passage of time, that degree of control, that balance has uh, tilted far much more in the direction of MBS himself. Uh, a six-year assessment. What's he done in the last six years? Uh, and how do we judge it? Uh, well, he is judged. He's an extraordinarily controversial character, and there are not many people around who don't have a view about him, either that he is the salvation uh, for um, Saudi Arabia, or he is a risky character who will uh, potentially threaten the stability of Saudi Arabia and perhaps even Western American interests uh, in the Middle East. The jury is out on this one. Uh, I'm not going to ask you at the end of this uh, conversation uh, whether, um, how you would vote, uh, but um, perhaps yourselves would like to just briefly make a note of what your opinion of MBS is at the moment, and then have a look at it in uh, 20 minutes time when the, the conversation is over and see if uh, you've changed and whether I changed your view or somebody else's comment changed your view. Uh, the, um, it, as I said, MBS is a controversial character. He's controversial because um, he is trying to do so much in Saudi Arabia. Uh, he's trying to change it. He's trying to make it less uh, uh, the control of the uh, or the influence of the religious hierarchy uh, was always um, pretty important. It is far less so these days. Uh, when I first started writing about Saudi Arabia, uh, I, I, along with others, used to uh, describe Saudi Arabia as a coalition between the Saudi royal family uh, and the religious uh, leadership, the ulama. Uh, and uh, now it is not a coalition uh, and nor indeed is it the Saudi royal family because the Saudi royal family, uh, which was large uh, and, um, and diverse, essentially used to rule by consensus. That notion of consensus has uh, gone out of the window. Uh, MBS pretty well decides uh, what he's going to do and uh, not many people do anything to, um, uh, to go against that. Now, that, so that's the social aspect of what MBS is trying to do. The economic aspect is that uh, rather grandly, um, he's trying to move it away from its dependence on oil. Uh, Saudi Arabia has the largest oil reserves in the world, essentially, uh, certainly the cheapest to um, exploit. Uh, one could have a rather technical discussion about uh, oil or quasi-oil in, in Canada and Venezuela, but at the oil as 
most of us would know it in terms of what you put in a barrel um, and then is uh, refined and you end up putting it in your car. Uh, the most of that, and certainly the cheapest to produce, is in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Now, the, uh, it's good that he's trying to move uh, the kingdom away from its dependence on the oil. Uh, the trouble here is that in order to finance uh, the moves away from that, he is relying on oil revenues. Uh, this um, is uh, an interesting conundrum, uh, particularly when the price of oil, although higher than what it has been, still is less than what Saudi Arabia needs to balance its budget or indeed end up with a surplus so that the surplus can be invested in non-oil projects. Uh, the other aspect other than oil of these economic changes is uh, the technocratic changes, uh, the technology changes that MBS is trying to introduce uh, to, to make uh, the Saudi young people educationally qualified to become part of the economy uh, and develop Saudi Arabia as sort of some sort of um, techn technologically advanced country in the Middle East. Uh, MBS has been quoted as saying uh, that uh, Saudi Arabia is a natural partner for Israel in terms of uh, technology and uh, trade. Um, this is um, an indication of where he wants to go. It's also a political indication of where his, of what he's prepared to do or could be prepared to do. Um, but it's uh, also a bit of a stretch. Um, the particular example which people cite or is most often cited about um, MBS's uh, grandiose economic ideas is this future touristic city of Neom, uh, which is in northwest Saudi Arabia. It's being built there and uh, it's going to cost 500 billion dollars and uh, will be, um, uh, everything will be catered for, uh, and it will be a, techni uh, a technological hotspot uh, for investment throughout the, from all over the world. Uh, there was an excellent article in the Wall Street Journal on May 1st entitled Saudi Crown Prince um, vision for Naom, a, a, um, a desert city state tests his builders. And the Wall Street Journal's reporting went through uh, the reasons why this imaginative project might be a project too far, uh, but gives an indication of, of MBS's uh, drive and his ambition. Uh, so social, economic, political, uh, MBS doesn't want to share power in Saudi Arabia. 
Uh, he's not talking about uh, the vote for anybody. He's not talking about democracy. How this is going to work out will be an interesting one uh, to watch um, Middle East uh, kingdoms and sheikdoms uh, have never been good on democracy, uh, but they have been prepared to listen to their populations. Uh, the extent to which MBS um, listens to his populations is questionable. And, uh, and uh, will Saudi, young Saudi people who are being given good educations and good jobs also accept that somebody else will make up their mind, uh, uh, his mind over what is the, uh, the best in them for the future. Diplomatically, uh, the, um, the question is uh, that Saudi um, MBS um, has had some um, unfortunate uh, adventures in foreign policy. Uh, he Soon after he became uh, Minister of Defense in March 2015, even before he was Deputy Crown Prince, uh, he had essentially decided to go to war in Yemen to overthrow the Houthi regime, uh, which had uh, taken over control of Sana'a, the capital, in the last uh, few weeks of 2014, uh, when King Abdullah was distracted by ill health. Uh, Saudi Arabia is still in Yemen. Uh, what was MBS had hoped for in terms of a quick victory has not happened. Uh, additionally, there's the complication that Iran has seen uh, Saudi Arabia's embarrassment in uh, Yemen and has uh, sought to reinforce that embarrassment with some success. That brings me on briefly to Iran. Uh, which, uh, which is historically uh, the rival of Saudi Arabia in, in the Gulf. Uh, the, the Iranians call it the Persian Gulf. The Saudis and their other Arab states there call it the Arabian Gulf. Um, for what it's worth, the American government calls it the Persian Gulf as well. Uh, and, uh, but, uh, MBS is very worried about uh, Iran nuclear, uh, which might also be uh, part of the reason that uh, there's been uh, contacts with the Israelis, but as yet no official normalization. Um, and um, uh, so that, that is a major problem as well. Uh, now, uh, I'll bring my comments to an end here, but I'd like to end uh, with the one thing that I haven't mentioned at the moment, which is the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, uh, which um, uh, is fading in uh, diplomatic terms, uh, and Saudi Arabia hopes it's pushed it to one side. Um, the US government, uh, perhaps by announcing the, re the result of its own investigations, which essentially blame MBS, um, has also tried to push it to one side. Uh, I suspect, sitting here in Washington, that uh, the Congress has not put it to one side, and I don't think a great chunk of um, uh, 
public opinion has either. So this uh, could be something which um, has still to be dealt with, or there might still be developments from. Uh, so in terms of a six-year assessment, positives, uh, yes. Negatives, rather too many. Um, what's his grade going to be? Uh, I'm afraid not being American by birth, I'm not very good at grading in American terms, uh, but there's hope for Saudi Arabia and MBS, uh, but I don't think it's necessarily the bright picture uh, that um, many would like to depict it as. And so uh, to, in the language of um, diplomacy, there are many challenges ahead, uh, but in professionally, it's a fascinating subject uh, to look at, and it will be a great indication about how the rest of the Middle East is going to go. I'll take questions. Wonderful, thank you so much. So the first question we have then is from Carrie Hildebrand. Uh, how has the recent conflict in Gaza impacted the slowly developing relations with Saudi Arabia in general and with MBS in particular, short and long-term? Um, Gaza is an interesting one because essentially Saudi Arabia has been rather silent on the, on the whole thing. Uh, and um, King Salman made a diplomatic phone call to Mahmoud Abbas in Ramallah uh, offering support. Uh, uh, and there's also been Saudi support for the OIC, the Organization of the Islamic Conference uh, in expressing concern about events in Jerusalem. Uh, although uh, Gaza is separate uh, from the West Bank and Jerusalem, uh, in Saudi terms, uh, the issue of the Palestinians and the fate of Jerusalem or the control of Jerusalem is very close to their hearts, certainly close to the heart of King Salman, who is pro-Jerusalem uh, in terms of the Muslim shrines there and uh, pro-Palestinian. And so that's why there's uh, been some activity uh, it, or that would explain the Saudi diplomacy so far. As far as I can see, and I've been watching for this and I may have missed it, but I don't think I have, uh, there's been um, no particular comment out of MBS about where uh, what he thinks of uh, what happened in Gaza and the challenges which remain in sorting out Gaza and, uh, and ensuring that there's um, stability there, reconstruction there, not a humanitarian disaster there, and there isn't another war there. Understood. Thank you. From Jonathan, Sh Jonathan Schiff Schiffer. Sorry. Uh, what are the likely changes in Saudi Arabia or MBS policy towards Israel and Iran as a result of the Biden administration's predilection to re rejoin the JCPOA? Uh, the, the closeness between the Trump White House and MBS was extraordinary and um, led to um, many changes in the Middle East. Uh, and 
sort of underpinned normalization, even though Saudi Arabia wasn't part of it. Uh, and uh, okay, Trump presidency is ended. Uh, we now have the Biden presidency and uh, the Biden White House clearly wants to do things differently, um, and uh, it, but how differently we've yet to work out. Uh, their statements um, can be interpreted in a variety of ways and we're waiting on action. Uh, one of those things is Iran uh, and the attitude of uh, Washington, the new Washington towards uh, the JCPOA and reestablishing that. Uh, and uh, I think Saudi Arabia shares Israel's disquiet about how much uh, might be conceded to Iran, or at least in their, their terms, what would be concessions uh, in this process. Uh, and this at least partially explains uh, the reports that Saudi Arabia has been having discussions with Iran about the future. Uh, I think they're trying to work out an agenda and at least be talking to each other. Uh, the Saudis have accepted uh, the United States has changed uh, and rather than dig themselves in, uh, they're seeing what room for maneuver they have. I doubt, though, whether MBS and Riyadh is at all happy with what has been going on. Understood. Thank you. From Terry Whittington, uh, regarding the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, do you think MBS was aware of it? And if so, did he underestimate the optics of the event or did he just not seem to care? Uh, well, um, I don't have any privileged information on it, but and uh, like many others, I assume he knew uh, what was going on. Uh, uh, you know, after all, uh, the hit team, uh, which went to Istanbul, included uh, some of his closest security aides. Uh, and um, you know, in, in their carry-on luggage was a bone saw. Uh, so it doesn't take much imagination to think uh, Khashoggi was already committed to a grim end at that point. Um, and um, does he care? I think he's disturbed by the fuss it's caused and thought he could get away with it. Uh, this suggests um, both an arrogance and frankly, um, a lack of awareness about how this would go down in the world. Has he learned from it? Uh, I'd like to think he has, but uh, I'm not sure. Uh, there's another case um, going on, which one um, uh, by a former Saudi intelligence uh, official, a senior official called Saad al-Jabri, who uh, is in Canada in exile and uh, the the Saudi government is taking action against him. Uh, the Saad al-Jabri has uh, claimed in a court document uh, that two weeks after uh, the murder of Khashoggi on October the 2nd, uh, 2018, 
a, another hit team, a Tiger Squad as it's called, uh, arrived in Canada uh, with the intention of uh, either seizing him or killing him. Uh, and uh, the uh, hit team was stopped at the airport uh, and the Canadians put them on the plane back. Uh, so the Canadian government uh, has an idea of what's going on, but the Canadian government is silent on the um, on this issue of whether it happened or not, and whether the claim of Saad al-Jabri is true or not. Thank you. And this question is from Kerry. Could we see a political reform in Saudi Arabia in the near future? Uh, as I try to suggest in my introductory remarks, um, there are a variety of reforms going on in Saudi Arabia. Um, political reform is not one of them, or not in a way which we would recognize as political reform. Uh, but if I twist the question slightly, um, is it inevitable that MBS is going to be the next king of Saudi Arabia? It's pretty inevitable. Uh, the question is when and under what circumstances. But um, like you, you can't say it's certainly going to happen and it can't say it's certainly going to last for 50 years. And so you have to at least uh, imagine the possibility that he doesn't become king. Uh, perhaps there is um, a response uh, from the Saudi royal family, which has um, sort of effectively been marginalized and frankly scared uh, by intervening to uh, perhaps uh, given the opportunity to replace MBS, they would. Uh, and uh, that would be political reform of some sort. What would that mean in terms of the Saudi style of government? Uh, probably a bit of a reversion to the previous style, um, but uh, it would. It, but taking up perhaps some of MBS's ways forward, but without his particular um, harsh style. Uh, and it, frankly, it, with MBS, you never quite know what the next surprise is going to be. Uh, and there have been a few good surprises um, and a few, oh, I wish he hadn't done that sort of surprises. Uh, so we have to entertain these possibilities. Wonderful. Thank you so much. As we approach the end of the webinar, would you like to tell our viewers where we can find some more of your work? Uh, well, if you go on the Washington Institute website and um, or go on the internet, uh, I hesitate to say, you know, search because you usually find that search engine doesn't work in quite the same way that you would like it to. But if you search Henderson and Saudi, uh, you will see uh, Henderson plus Saudi. Uh, there used to be a ridiculous number of um, uh, possibilities coming up there. And uh, if I can point out the, my more recent work, which is this um, study on MBS in the Washington Institute Sudden Succession series, uh, and the, ne the next 50 years, question mark. Because um, I think there is a question mark. Inevitably, it's not a certainty. Uh, what the question mark is and how big the question mark is, um, is a matter of debate. 
Wonderful. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you. Of course. For our viewers and listeners, please join us Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern for an update with Ashley Perry. Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a wonderful day.